This is Coffee, Wine, and Chocolate, a podcast inspired by people, places, and things. Welcome. I'm your host, Dawn. You can find me at all the links I've provided below in the notes. But specifically, you can find me at the podcast website, which is coffeewineandchocolate.com. So my special guest today, she's pretty important. She had stage two breast cancer. Um, and seeing that breast cancer month is this month, I asked her to come on and and be a part of this podcast. And she is one of the first of my interviews. And I was very excited to have her on here this month. I met her on TikTok. Surprise, surprise. But she is, as you will find, going to be expanding from there soon. I know you will enjoy today's guest very much. So here we go. Um, guys, my um, my guest today is Deb Benny. She is known as Squirrel or Renegade's Girl on TikTok. We love her. And... Um, <laughs> And the reason she's my guest today is because she and I talked um, a couple months ago about possibly just doing actually um, a practice interview because I was talking about doing interviews. And she was telling me about her story um, that she had breast cancer before. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a great story. And we thought her talking about everything that she'd gone through and that she possibly wanted to get that story out there. And um, and so then she did a video and she placed it on TikTok and on Facebook. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a sign. I've got to do this interview now. <laughs> so I approached her about doing it. And she said, yes. And so she is here today. Hello, Deb. Nice to see you. Hi. And Thank you so much. To hear you. <laughs> no one can see you on my podcast, but at least I can see you. <laughs> nice to have you on here. And um, It is wonderful to be with you today. I'm so glad you're here. And um, I brought you on here so that we could talk about your venture into your your breast cancer adventure that you had. And um, I understand that it was uh, February 2018 when you were diagnosed. It was. It was one week after my youngest uh, child started kindergarten, which wow. was... Um, in some ways a blessing because she had been at home with me. So she was now at school and that meant that I had time to kind of recover during the school days. Wow. So, so what, what brought on um, the diagnosis? What? So I had, I had noticed a lump um, that was sort of quite prominent and I had had an issue with cystic breasts in the past, so I wasn't too concerned initially. But this lump sort of, you know, I noticed it after a couple of days. I thought, you know, I I keep noticing this. I should go to the doctor and get it checked out. And I had 12 months prior to this actually gone and had a mammogram. In Australia, any woman over 40 can go and have a free mammogram. And that didn't show anything, although at the time I understand... Um, it was obviously had started. So I found this lump and I went to the doctor and I go to the same GP. She knows me very well. So she, she had a feel and she said, well, I think that might be a cyst. And she did a checkup 
And she said, actually, there's another lump underneath that. Have you noticed this? And I said, no, I mean, I couldn't feel it. I, it, you know, breasts can feel kind of lumpy. It's a bit hard sometimes to distinguish what is what. Right. And, uh, and she said, look, I really want to get in and get you checked. So we'll get an ultrasound and a mammogram done. And she was concerned. So she actually rang up and, and got me a really early appointment, which was wonderful. Uh, so I went and I had the test done on, it was a Friday or a Saturday. And then I had a call from the doctor's office on a Sunday night saying, can you come in and see us on Monday? And as soon as I had that call, I knew what was going on. So um, she's a wonderful woman and I, and I adore her. So I went in there on Monday knowing what, what I was going to be told. And I could see on her face that she was really upset. So I said, listen, don't be upset. I know what is going on. I know it's not a good thing, but let's just deal with it and, and we'll be okay. So she, she's such a sweetheart. Um, again, rang up and got me booked in early to see a breast surgeon. And I went to see the surgeon. And she said, um, we're fortunate it's, a, it's an early stage breast cancer. And at that stage, it was stage one. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, oh, that's good. You know, I'll just probably just get some surgery or something like that. And so she said, okay, we'll be having surgery and then we'll do a round of chemo. And I was shocked because I didn't think that that's something that happened with early stage breast cancer. I, and then straight away, I had this realization that I was going to lose all my hair and the heaviness of what you see in media and, um, you know, the portrayal of what it is to go through chemotherapy and cancer treatment hit me. And I thought, Oh, this is going to be pretty heavy. So, um, I, I had to go and have, uh, two, well, I initially had to have one surgery. So, Based on the the size of the lump, they decided to do a lumpectomy as opposed to a mastectomy. So they just go in and remove the lump itself. So I went in for surgery and woke up and found out that it was somewhat bigger than they thought it was and that I would need to go in for more surgery. And, and I had been upgraded to stage 2A. Uh-huh. So... I got booked in for another surgery and had that a week later. And then within a matter of weeks, I was scheduled to do four rounds of AC chemo, which is the heavy once every three weeks chemo. Um, And then 12 rounds of Taxol, which is another type of chemo every week. And then I would be doing 20 rounds of radiation and then I would be doing one year of immunotherapy. So uh, once a week, I would be going in for Herceptin. So at first I thought, wow, this is, this is kind of heavy. Like this is a lot more than I thought. Right. I but I also realised, um, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, that there were two, two things going on here. First of all, I had to realize that I had no control over what the outcome would be. So either it was going to go well or it wasn't. Right. And 
I had the acute understanding that this wasn't just something that was happening to me, even though I was the person with the diagnosis and I would be going through treatment, this was something that was going to have a profound effect on my tribe. And so how I managed this process and how people saw me experience this process would have a, a huge effect on how they dealt with it and the, the lasting impact of that. So I thought, you know, if, I, if things don't go well, and, and this is it for me. I didn't want my daughters growing up feeling traumatized by what they saw. So I knew that I had to put on a brave face, put on a smile, find the silver linings and show them what walking through difficult times looks like, because they may very well go through that themselves at some point, whether it's, you know, may not be a breast cancer diagnosis. It might be something else. It might be, um, an issue that they experience with a close friend, their own partner when they grow up, whatever that is, I had to show them that you don't let difficult moments define you in that way. So I was determined to make it as least traumatic as possible on my tribe. And, and I thought, you know, by doing that, it would, it would make it more bearable for everyone. And one of the things that surprised me about this experience and actually made it much easier to put a smile on my face was that I was not prepared for the outpouring of love and support, not just from friends and family, but from complete strangers uh, going to the shop. Um, so when I went through chemotherapy, I, I tried on a few wigs and I'll be honest, I felt like that scene in ET where E.T.'s wearing the wig in the toys. Like I just felt stupid. Right. I really did. It was not me. And, and it didn't feel authentic. And I kind of wanted to, to fly the flag for everyone going through this. So I was very bold. I went out with a bald head. Yeah. Um, and I was just, and I wanted to see that you could be up and, and about and okay and bald, you mm-hmm. know, that, that wasn't a deal breaker. So I would go to the shop And the amount of times I would catch the eye of a a perfect stranger who would smile at me and just give a little bit of kindness. Mm -hmm. That is not really the kind of exchange that you experience if you're someone who's going through depression or going through a difficult marriage or going through hard times that you don't wear on your sleeve. So it was unexpected to experience that level of love and kindness from the world right and um the support that i got from my medical team the the nurses the doctors the my oncologist the specialists involved in my treatment i don't know that there's ever been a time in my life where i felt as loved and supported and that had a profound impact on how I experienced it, how I felt about everything that was going on. I did have that thought that if we treated people with depression the way we treat people with cancer, we might solve an awful lot of problems. So true. <laughs> so it was um so it was an adventure. I like that word adventure. I think it's almost better than journey <laughs> because it, there were it was a fascinating experience that was multifaceted. Um, it taught me so much about 
what matters and what doesn't and the ability to let go of stuff. There's nothing like thinking that your life may potentially be over to find yourself going, you know what? I, I don't think I'm going to worry about this issue over here so much or all of a sudden everything takes on a different level of importance. Everything that is small and insignificant completely falls away. And everything that matters, truly matters, just comes to the forefront straight away. Right. So I found that by going through this experience, I kind of lost a lot of my baggage that I'd been carrying in my life about different things. And I gained clarity I never had. And I found joy I didn't think existed for me. So it's amazing the amount of people who initially sort of have that, uh, that sympathy when they find out that you've been through something like this, but it's, it, it's not at all even close to being the most difficult thing I've dealt with. And I'm grateful for it because I wasn't prepared for how many wonderful lessons would come out of it. You know, I'm an infinitely better person as a result of this experience. Yeah. You know, and that's something that doesn't get talked about as much because um, we tend to focus on the trauma and not on the love and the joy. So I wanted to share that a little bit. And I hope that was something that came across in the little TikTok that I did was that um, I wanted to to sort of show the contrast between perhaps looking not so great but feeling wonderful and feeling hope and feeling gratitude. So yeah, I definitely yeah, saw yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely saw that. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So you have how many girls? Two. I have. I have two girls. Aww. They are. Uh, they were. How old were they when I was diagnosed? Five and nine when I was diagnosed. Okay. So they knew what was going on. And so it was sort of, um, I guess, a strong motivator to be here is to obviously see them to adulthood. So I was, when when I was offered treatments, I know that that some people opt to have, um, do natural treatments. Uh, And I think it's a very personal journey and everyone is entitled to take the approach they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But I also saw as part of the support groups that I was in a lot of people that would take alternative treatments and, and didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the chemotherapy is so effective and the treatments are so much more manageable than the perception of them. Um, I had hyperemesis gravitarum during both my pregnancies. I was very sick the entire pregnancy for both girls. And the first thing that I thought was, oh, I don't want to feel nauseous. Like I really, I was dreading the idea of being sick. I wasn't sick once. Wow. Not even once. Um, They give you wonderful medication to help with the nausea. uh, And they really the treatments these days, even in the last couple of years are extraordinary. Uh, you know, the, I'm not sure if we were talking earlier on about the, the gene expression, HER2, uh-huh. which 
I am HER2 positive, so the cells replicate at a much greater rate. And it used to be a death sentence. And then Dr. Dan Slayman developed Herceptin, which was a treatment that Revlon actually contributed to the funding of because um, one of the the department heads in Revlon, his grandmother had breast cancer. So they organised to donate money to uh, to do the research for septum. So what used to be a death sentence now means that it's actually much more treatable uh, and, and actually has really good survival rates, even um, for women that have had, you know, stage three or four um, breast cancer. So... In a lot of ways, there's never been a better time to be diagnosed with cancer, as, as strange as that sounds. The treatments are fantastic, and every day they are coming up with new and wonderful treatments for this. So the important thing for anyone that, um, I guess, suspects that they might have a problem, that they might feel a lump, they might not be sure, I know one woman in particular who never used to check herself because she was always worried that it would be that she might have cancer or something, which seemed crazy to me because the sooner you deal with it, the sooner you get checked, the the earlier the stage, the easier it is to treat. Right. So, you know, I, I'm in my 40s. You would think that I know my body well enough to pick up on that lump. I didn't. So there's no shame in going to the doctor and saying, please check me out because I don't know what I'm feeling for. Right. And... I'm very grateful to my doctor who picked up something I didn't, took action early um, and did everything that she could to get me early appointments. Definitely. And I think my advice to anyone who is diagnosed, particularly in that stage between when you find out that you have cancer and when you find out how far along you are, what type of cancer, is to recognise that that is usually the panic stage. So the most fearful stage is before you know what you're dealing with and before you know what the treatment plan is. Once you get a plan for how to treat it, it becomes a lot more manageable, not only physically but psychologically, to deal with that. I hear a dog. (laughs) Yes. That's the Hurricane Mabel in the background. (laughs) Keeping me safe from things that aren't even there. <laughs> That's right. They're, I'll do that kind of job, don't they? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, I knew she would find something to bark about as soon as I got on the call with you. That's that's how she rolls. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> what what brought you to TikTok? Um. So my oldest daughter asked if she could get a TikTok account Mm -hmm. and I wasn't really familiar with what TikTok was and I don't let my girls have social media. So um, my first thought was, well, I'll have a look and see what it is first um, before I make that hard decision. And, and I, whether it's gaming platforms, games, movies, shows, whatever it is, I usually try to experience it before mm. I let them be exposed to it. So I downloaded TikTok and I was just shocked at, 
I think I spent probably four hours on TikTok the first time I downloaded it and started watching these videos. And, and I was really surprised because I look at platforms like Twitter, which is just toxic yeah, or Facebook, which is just, it used to be just a wonderful platform to connect with family and friends and share photos. And right. it's become this politically divisive battleground and and then I looked at TikTok and when I got off TikTok, what I felt was this deep sense of connection to other people all around the world, living different lives, having different experiences, but it had this, this humanness about it. This, um, and, and unlike Instagram, which is all about projecting the, the perfection of the right. <laughs> TikTok felt goofy and um, authentic mm. and real. And I was really shocked at how it made me feel. I got off a social media app feeling good about the world. And that was new to me. Um, now, to be honest with you, I still haven't let my daughter have an account because <laughs> really? you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, hesitant to um, open a can of worms. I won't be able to close, but I, do, right. I, I did download it for her so that she can watch TikToks. Mm-hmm. She just can't. Um, message people and interact um but then i started um so i i love to paint i'm an artist and i fell into a live one day and dave makes things was painting and playing music and i remember sort of making a few comments and then some of the other people in the room were making comments back and all of a sudden that kind of evolved over a period of months from being a visitor to a live to feeling this deep sense of connection to these people all around the world that I'd never met that made me feel like family. So I adore TikTok. I think it is beautiful and unique. I think that there's something special about their model where their engagement isn't dependent on creating conflict and i think it's it's kind of good for humanity you know mm-hmm. it's um I've, I've made so many wonderful friends and connections because of tiktok and particularly in a year where people can't go out and socialize the way they they once did i've been able to feel social and connected in the comfort of my studio chair. So, so it's been a good timing thing for me to fall into TikTok in 2020. Yeah, me too. I had to ask. Because <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> and I got to meet you. Exactly. Yay. Exactly. Yay. <laughs> okay. We, we talked one time also when we first started talking about doing interviewing. Um, didn't you say something about wanting to start? like a podcast or a blog or something? I did. I I felt um, one of the challenges with support groups for people who are diagnosed with breast cancer is that the people that usually participate most in those forums are people who are scared or people who are having problems and often people who kind of have an okay ride with it lean less on support groups therefore their experience is less visible and having come out the other side I kind of felt like you know I wish 
I had had exposure early on to more people who've had a journey like mine where it wasn't, it wasn't traumatic, that it was life changing in a lot of positive ways. Mm-hmm. And maybe if I had the opportunity to share those experiences, share the stages of what it is to go through breast cancer, to, to go through the diagnosis, what the different treatments are like, what the physical experience of that is like, mm-hmm. what the psychological battles are that come up with that and what the, the unseen benefits are, maybe I might have felt less afraid in the beginning. So I had a desire to create a podcast to address those things. And I didn't meet a woman who went through treatment. Um, the, the administrative head of the uh, oncology ward where I had my infusions she actually connected us and said, listen, you've both been talking about doing a podcast. So I thought I'd introduce you to each other. So um, I'm, I'm due to catch up with her and talk to her more about um, setting up this podcast that we can do together. And she's very clever. I mean, she, I have all these ideas about what I want to talk about, but she's very structured and she's written down, okay, the podcast should be this and this and this. So um, I'd like to think that that's something that we do in the next six months to make the journey less fearful for those people who are new to this experience, this adventure. That would be so great. I'm so excited about that. Yeah, if you well, do that. I learn too because it, podcasts are very new to me, so I have a lot to learn. <laughs> it's, phone, phone call. The, only, the only hard part is the very beginning, trying to get things set up. The rest of it's the rest of it's fun. Okay. <laughs> the rest of it's fun. So, yeah, but yeah, that, I'm excited for you then because I know you had talked about it. So that that's very cool. I'm very excited. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I think that would be helpful, and I think it might settle a few nerves out there if if people know that it's not the end of the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Because I know, for me, because I haven't gone through it, the only thing I've had is just the the, the uh, fibrous um, tissue yeah. ones. That's all I've had. So I don't know about the cancerous kind of stuff. And so I would be scared to death. I mean, all I would think was the, the bad stuff. I know, because that's how my mind goes off the deep end. So, <laughs> so I know I would be scared to death if I found out that I had cancer, you know? So yeah, I can, I get it. I would be that way too. Yeah. You know, one of the things my oncologist said to me, um, because I said to him, you know, what are, what are five things you would want people to know about this journey? And I was sort of fishing around for information on, you know, what things are important. And he, one of the things that stood out to me was he said, the overwhelming majority of people that he treats recover from cancer and this is something that is I think because so many people know of somebody who's died of cancer Mm -hmm. um that there's this perception that cancer is almost always a death sentence that once you have it it's you know just a matter of time but Mm -hmm. it is extraordinary the amount of people who are diagnosed with cancer are treated and recover fully so it's important to not go into that place of fear um, straight away because it's never been more treatable. And actually um, 
you know, sometimes I'll see statements about, oh, you know, people are always being diagnosed with cancer, particularly when it comes to perceptions about, you know, the society we have, you know, that cancer is more prevalent than it's ever been. Actually, um, cancer rates have been dropping quite steadily for, for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we see more of it is that we are more likely to be diagnosed now than we were 20 years ago. We're more likely to pick up on early stage issues than we were 20 years ago. We talk about it more than we did 20 years ago. So even though it seems like everyone knows someone who's got cancer, actually it's, um, it is something that is decreasing in our society and it is something that is uh, vastly more treatable than it, than it ever has been. So that's important for people to remember if they're feeling afraid about a diagnosis that they've received. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's more knowledge for it. So, of course, it would be diagnosed more and <laughs> understood and better. Talk about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That makes more sense. Thanks to social media, we talk about everything now. Of course, right? <laughs> it's all over the place. <laughs> Everything's talked about more. It is, which is great. Yeah. Most and, and not great. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Some things not so much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lord. Uh, well, um, is there anything else you would like to, to tell anybody about your experience? Uh, I think... I think the the thing that really stands out for me is when you are faced with your own mortality... And at some point we all face that. Mm -hmm. You will realize just how much stuff we hold on to that doesn't matter. And you will realize how wonderful life is and how wonderful people are. So I think in this current environment of political angst, of um, volatility where it feels a little bit like the world's gone a little bit crazy the last couple of years i would say don't get too sucked into that the world is an amazing and beautiful place and people are incredible and um i have received love and support from lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds from lots of different viewpoints you know, we are all connected on this crazy human journey and we have to remember that, you know, it's, it's a beautiful place. Really? You know, I'm grateful to be here, you know? Yeah. And I'm grateful for you to be here, right and here on my the podcast. thing I've learned is stay off Facebook. Just stay off it. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 okay. I'm that. <laughs> I Twitter, so I'm all <laughs> right. forgive my dogs in the background. I've just had a, the postman turn up to deliver something so I can hear them going nuts. There you go. <laughs> Woohoo, package. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Online shopping always gives me a buzz. Yeah, there you go. Well, Deb, thank you so much for being here on my podcast. It has been a blessing and has been so much fun. And I appreciate all the wonderful 
very knowledgeable information that you have shared today. It's been very... Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for letting me share my experiences with you. I so appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great. You are are a blessing. Thank you. So are you, lovely. Thank you all so much for joining today's podcast with Deb. She is amazing. And I will keep checking with her on her podcast so I can let you know when she has released her first one live so you can catch it and keep up with her. Now go out today as you're going about your business, whatever you do today. If you come upon somebody that you see that has something on that you like or the hair has done some way that you like or whatever you might see that you like, let them know. They may be having a bad day and you could be giving them something that makes them smile. Tell them so. Tell them hi. Even just a smile or a hello will make someone's day. Have a great day, you guys. See you next week. Thanks. Thanks.